1 John 2, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Love. Over my years of being a Christian, when I encounter such words as these, words that command us to love God and to love one another, I confess to you that I have found the command to love to be a bit strange. And I believe that most people probably do. I say that because the concept that our natural mind usually understands as being love tends not towards something that we can control, that we can intentionally do, but rather that love is something that we fall into, something that just happens to us. Feelings and emotions that just suddenly well up uncontrollably within us through no design or intention on our part. And yes, the emotions of love seem to do exactly that in our experience. A glance across the room at a person. A glimpse, perhaps, as you walk down a corridor of a store. Suddenly you're smitten. I can recall the beginning days of first meeting my beloved wife. I was immediately attracted to her. And that emotional attraction eventually worked its way out into a deep and strong and lifelong love. The question, though, that must be first considered as we ponder these words, is the kind of emotion of love that I have just described the same kind of love that God is speaking about in these words that He's commanding us to do? And the answer to that question is, no, it isn't that kind of love. But, then again, yes, in some ways, it is. It is. Now, I don't pretend to know the whole psychology of love. God's not given me an adequate understanding of it. And also, as I've observed, even those that would call themselves experts in the field of love, they don't seem to know much about love either. But we should. We really should know about love. And we must. Because according to God, 
Love is the most important thing that we are to ever experience. And why do I say that? It's because both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God declares that to be so. That love is the most important thing that we will ever do, that we'll ever be involved in. Deuteronomy 6 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So it's not just you loving, but you're going to teach your children to love. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So everyone you encounter along the way, you shall bind them as a sign upon your hands, and there shall be uh, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gateposts of your yard. And then over in the New Testament, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the most important commandment? He immediately said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That one verse, verse 40, says everything that you and I will ever do and are ever commanded to do by the Lord can be wrapped up and put in one word. Love. Love for God and love for each other. And then John telling us here that he's not giving us a new commandment, but he's only restating an old one. But then he says, but really I'm giving you a new one. He's saying that that original commandment to love our neighbor as ourself, yes, it's still always going to be in place. But even more than that needs to be added. And in John 13, verse 34, we're told, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the new command he's talking about. And it tells us that we are to love other people beyond the way that we love ourselves. We're to love them as Christ loves them. That's such a much deeper and far more spiritual form of love. And it truly is a love that cannot be accomplished in your or my heart unless we have the power of God's Holy Spirit living within us. It's the only way we can have this kind of love that He's commanding us to do here. The intended meaning of all of these words is that love is to be that central element and the compelling reason behind all that takes place. And it is in the heart of God and in His relationship with us. But then it's also so supposed to be the one central element and compelling reason in our response back to Him. And then to add to that, it's supposed to be and must be that one central element and compelling reason behind all that we'll do with each other, with everyone, anyone that we encounter. The simple truth is, if we will love God and love people in the way that God is commanding us to love, then, listen, we surely will live a near-perfect existence all the days of our lives. Some would say, no, now that doesn't take into 
consideration what all those other people do. So you'll not have that near perfect existence. But yes, it will. It can work. It really can work because even though they respond to us in the wrong way, we can still love them. We can still understand what's going on in their hearts. Now, is that a tall order? Yes, it is a very tall order. But we can do it if we have the love of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But unfortunately, we are confused and our understanding of love is being corrupted. You know, out of the 7 billion people that are currently on this earth, there's probably 7 billion different versions of what we believe love is supposed to be like. That's sad, not knowing what God is calling us to do. But thankfully, there is a real answer to our dilemma in our understanding of what love is supposed to mean. And the Lord is telling us that instead of our doing as these relative thinkers of our generation do, that we really need to find out what God defines love as being. And how do we do that? We actually go to the one who created this mystery of love that we enjoy daily. That's God himself. And he really does have so much to say about what love should be like, what it should look like in our lives. Preachers have a fondness of saying that this Bible is God's love letter to us. And it is. It is. So with that being said, I'd like for us to go first to the most well-known revelation about love. And those are the words of 1 Corinthians 13. So if I can get you to turn there with me because we're going to look at that for a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. Now notice as we read this that love has both a being, what it is, and it has a doing requisite within it. Listen carefully to the words. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, note first in these words that God reveals the first failings by us as Christians. We may know Christ. We may have faith in Him as our Savior and Lord. And we may be a lifelong student of the Bible, knowing doctrines and even being able to preach those doctrines. But if we're lacking in this one thing, love, we are falling so woefully short of God's plan 
and desire for us. Those words again, listen. If I speak in tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, and have not love, I gain nothing. See how important God is telling us that this love really must be in our own hearts. These words are clear and plain. For us as Christians, this is the first and most vital requirement of Christianity and of our daily Christian walk that he spoke about there in verse 6 that we studied last week. Do we love the people around us with the kind of love that God wants us to love? Do you love the people around you? All of them. Here God's telling us exactly what that kind of love will look like as we show it towards other people. And here He first tells us what love is. But with each revelation, by the way, of what love is, He gives this implied command telling us what we are to do with that love. He tells us love is patient and love is kind. It is patient. And it is kind. That's what it is. But do you see the inference that we are then to show that patience and kindness? Love does not envy or boast. Do you envy those around you? Do you boast? How do you boast? We boast just by trying to be a little bit one-up on those people around us. Certainly not one below them. If we, we have ever uttered the expression, it's not my fault, then you have boasted. You have said, I don't like being down here, so it's not my fault. It must be someone else's, so I will elevate myself above them. Boasting is very subtle. It's also, it's not arrogant. Arrogance says, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not rude. Oh, how many times have I been rude when I didn't have to be, especially to strangers? It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Wait just a moment. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I have violated that terribly this past couple of weeks when I see these big name giants in the media fall from grace because of their involvements in immoral behavior. I didn't say it out loud, but my mind was saying, my heart was saying, they've gotten their comeuppance. How many people have they destroyed? Now they are being destroyed. I rejoiced. I should not have done that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Folks, as I've studied over time about this word love, I find that God has done a mysterious thing with love. He has endowed love with its very own nature, its very own personality, its very own mysterious power. And these words reveal 
the nature and the personality and the power. These words that we've just read here. Now, some people would reject what I'm saying. But we who love know that it's true. Love really does have a nature of its own. And when we love, that nature begins to manifest itself in our behaviors. It has a personality. has a power within it. Love causes you and me to do things we would not do otherwise. There's a power within it. Real and true love is what God is saying here. It's patient and it's kind. And it's not just the kind of count to ten before you speak patience, but it's a desire to step over into that other person's life and circumstance and to be kind and understanding rather than impatient with them. Once we begin to experience love for another person, our feelings and our behaviors towards that other person, they really do change. We want the very best for them. We want to be near them more and more. And we want to do things for them. Things that we'd not do otherwise. Nowhere, as I have thought through this, pondered through this, nowhere is love and these qualities of love more evident than in a mother's love for her child, for her baby child. A, such, a, such a strong force of love compels a mother to do almost anything, whatever it takes to meet the needs of her child. She'll suffer any misery. She'll suffer any sorrow, especially as they grow older. She'll give her a last bite of food. She'll die if she has to. She's patient. She's kind beyond measure. And yes, mothers do get frustrated. And they want to pull their hair out. But even that is evidence of love. Because otherwise, they would simply abandon that unruly child and leave it to to itself. Not care what it does. But this frustration that we as parents experience It's evidence of love. And then also, equally, real love can clearly be seen between a husband and wife who love each other. Now, yes, in today's world, marriages and love and relationships have become very relative. But when a husband and wife both have Christ as their Savior, you can see more and more of these elements of love within them. Patience, kindness does not envy or boast, It's not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, It's not irritable or resentful, all of these qualities. And yes, God is telling us that these same qualities of love can be, listen, they can be and absolutely should be the foundation of all human relationships. That's what The Apostle John is talking about here. He's not just talking about between a mother and her child or a a husband and wife. He's saying that in every relationship, the Holy Spirit being within us will help us to be and to have this kind of love with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our business associates, even with strangers. That's what John's talking about here. These qualities of love ought to be our ordinary manner of daily life with anyone that we encounter. And all that is especially 
important because as we have been studying so much recently about the providence of God, things and circumstances and situations seldom, if ever, just happen. There's an expression out there where you'll hear most Christians use it. They'll say, it's a God thing. Do you know what they're saying? When they say it's a God thing, they're saying that God has inserted His providential hand into a circumstance and He has guided it in a particular direction or plan to accomplish His will. All those seemingly random occurrences, they're not random. They're not random. Most all of them are God-ordained. And they have a God-ordained purpose and meaning. And because of that, our behavior should always immediately be patient and kind, especially when it doesn't meet the direction that we are wanting to go at the time. Patience, kindness, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on having our own way, not irritable or resentful, bearing all things. And again, all that's a tall order. And God knows in giving us these directions here in this portion of Scripture that it is a tall order. And He knows that in a lot of these circumstances, we don't know that person on the other side of the conversation. And often they have their own direction that they're going and they don't want you involved. And so they become unlovable and have unlovable behavior. But the Lord says that really does not matter. Notice here that God doesn't give us options. He doesn't say, if the other person nice back to you, then do this or that. Our only option is to show them these qualities of love that are spoken about here, no matter what their attitude, no matter what their responses. Let me go back a moment with a husband and wife, and this is something that I spent a lot of time on in my understanding of how I'm to love my wife. In Ephesians 5, God doesn't give any options. He says simply to me as a husband, Husband, love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm to love my wife as Christ loves her. No other options. I'm not to get her involved in anything that is the least bit untoward or or corruptible. In every part of our life, I'm to lead her in ways of righteousness. And beyond that, even cleansing her, he says in verse 26 of, of Ephesians 5, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the Word. I am to spend time doing exactly what we read earlier in Deuteronomy 6. As I lie down, as I rise up, as I walk along the way, I am to be constantly cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word so that she will be presented before the throne of God, spotless and blameless. And I'm to do that. I'm to love her unconditionally. Unconditionally. Not depending upon whether or not she has responded rightly to me. I'm to love her regardless of her attitude or responses. It's a tall order. And he's saying here, regardless of whether or not they are easy to love, 
We are to love our neighbor unconditionally, regardless of their attitude and their response. It's a tall order, but it must be done. And so God commands us then, which takes us back to the first statement that I made. God commands us to willfully step forward and show love for all those people that may be hard to love. And a lot of times that's within a marriage. But it's especially so with those that we work with, with our neighbors, with our customers, regardless of whether or not they are easy to love. He's saying to us here that we must love them. I'll close for now. I want to reread these verses for us, though. And we'll talk about them more next week. Here in verse 7, beginning in verse 7 of 1 John, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. I'm not telling you for the first time to love someone. It's not an old one. It's not a new commandment. It is an old one that you've had from the beginning, he says. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. But he says then at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Because I want you to go further than loving your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love them the way I love them. That's what God's saying. He's saying, I want you to love them the way I love them. So we'll close and we'll hopefully examine these words further next week. Let's pray.